It's really a matter like in order to convince someone, the first thing you need to do is listen to them. And what happens when you do that is you do benefit from their insights. And so your idea gets better. But when you, what happens when you listen is that they then start to become, feel like they're heard and then they are part of this, this process. And so that's, this is the pure working backwards thing. Hi, and welcome to Dreams with Deadlines a podcast where you'll hear real stories of trials and victories in business. I'm Jenny Harold, VP of Product Marketing at GTM Hub. Our mission is to prevent organizational hypocrisy. Inspired by the proven objectives and key results goal-setting methodology, GTM Hub offers the most flexible results management system for mission-driven organizations. Check us out at gtmhub.com to learn more. In this episode, I'm joined by Richard Russell, an OKR and leadership coach. He spent two decades leading product, business, and technical teams, and has held senior and management roles at Amazon, Google, and Deutsche Bank. We discuss Amazon's working backwards framework, a different way to think through how to formulate good objectives, how Peter Drucker's ideas about defining value still hold true, and more. Let's jump in. So today I have on the show Richard Russell, and I'm super stoked because I've actually never spoken to someone from where you live, <laughs> which I think is always exciting. But what we have in common is kind of a, an appreciation for product management, obviously for OKRs, and that's what we'll talk about today. So thanks for being on the show, Richard. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Appreciate it too. Yeah, so I'm in the um, I'm in the Grand Duchy of Luxembourg, um, which is a, a country that before I, I mean, I'm Australian, you may hear from the accent, and before I came to Europe, I was barely even aware that Luxembourg existed. Um, it's a country of about half a million people. It's nestled between Germany, France, and Belgium, um, wow. and it has its own language. Here, like we speak, um, uh, in, in, in Luxembourg, there's Luxembourgish, French, and German, and then the next Whoa. most popular language is Portuguese and then English. And so, and Luxembourgish is kind of like, um, uh, they used to consider it a dialect of German, but it's not not considered that anymore because it's kind of like more of a, it's got German grammar, German style grammar, but then a Dutch kind of accent and then a French vocabulary all mixed together. So it's kind of like what you'd expect from where Luxembourg is. That's so wild and awesome at the same time. Yeah. So how do you get into what you, I mean, even though it's interesting to talk about where you're from and where you live yeah. now. Like, how'd you get into doing what you do today? Because, I mean, if they look you up on LinkedIn, they'll find that you're an OKR and leadership coach. And as we discussed kind of before this recording, you did all kinds of things. How'd you get to be an OKR and leadership coach now? Yeah, so I think I think what probably brought me here is I've always had this interest in in businesses and in different businesses and in new things. And so I love to be doing that, that digging into different companies and how they think and how they're working and how I can help. But I mean, my background, I, I, I did a computer science degree and I did some software development and so on. I ended up through a series of fortunate events in, in working at Google in London, um, which is where I first discovered OKRs. And it was interesting because it was my first company where I had an onboarding experience and they introduced OKRs and said, we have this goal setting system. It's kind of special. And I heard about it and I thought, well, I guess every company has a goal setting system that they think is kind of special. Um, mm. And so, I, so, I, but I went through over six months, six years, and sort of discovered how it worked and found it really valuable. And then after that, I, I went, worked for various companies. I had a startup, and I, I worked for another startup as a CPO. And then I came to Amazon in Luxembourg, and Amazon has a really strong 
leadership and management culture and some, and some great practices that I also teach. And then I left Amazon and became independent. And I've been doing some product stuff and some, some innovation stuff. And but eventually discovered that a lot of companies are really struggling, especially in transformation, but struggling to um, to to get the focus and the, and the the alignment in their teams. Um, and part of the problem is that they don't have goals that are really well articulated. And so, and I realized that actually, yeah, the OKR system is actually kind of special, and it does it does or it can create change that is valuable for organizations, and it's valuable for other organizations. So that's how I sort of I sort of saw the value here, and I, it lines up with my interest in learning about other companies and doing different things with different companies. And I saw the, the interest and the value in it. And I, and I thought, well, um, I can help with this. And I, I've also seen quite a lot of the um, activity in the OKR space. Yeah. So you've spent some time at both Google, like you mentioned, they've done OKRs. And then you spent some time at Amazon as a senior manager for product development, which I thought was really cool. And you, out of that experience, it sounds like learned this framework and this concept called working backwards. Can you kind of share what that is and what you find fascinating about that and how it helps people? I think a lot of people are always curious if they're outside of these big companies, like how do they actually get stuff done since they're so big? And it seems like you've taken some of the best ideas from these really big enterprises and kind of made it available to everyone to understand through your work. So can you talk about working backwards real quick? Sure. So working backwards is a method that Amazon uses for innovation. And effectively, it's it's one of the ways that they sort of create this customer obsession. And what it is, is the, the idea is that what they realize is when you launch a product, whatever you're doing, what really matters is what does the customer think about it when I launch it? And so it's quite frequently people will develop something that they think is great, go through the process of building and launching it and then launch it. And then customers just don't care. And often you actually discover this when you're trying to figure out how to launch it, when you're trying to write the marketing for it. So what Amazon did is they said, well, let's start our whole process for new product development by writing this document, by writing the the press release. Because, I mean, Amazon, it's a big company and they they tend to launch products through press releases. And if if the product gets onto the news, like gets into the newspapers, then it's a worthwhile product for Amazon. Um, And so they wrote these press releases and, and, and their metric is basically, is this press release important enough that we think a newspaper would publish it. And so that that's, that helped sort of uh, get this whole customer orientation. And what it means is that you write down your your um, idea and you have to write it down in a way that sort of explains what the problem is and then explains what the solution is um, and why it's valuable and so on in a way that customers would really understand it. And by doing this at the start of the process, you help everybody involved in the process focus on the um, the actual outcome you're trying to create. And, and so you end up um, uh, focusing all of the work on building something that building things that will matter to customers as opposed to getting sort of stuck on the internal agendas and things like that. But the other thing that I found really valuable about this in taking it to other companies, and this is something that, I mean, Amazon does sort of by default. So they're not really aware that this is particular to the working backwards process. It's just a thing they do. But by writing this document and by writing it as if you're writing to a customer, whenever you socialize it with other people in your organization, you get them out of their comfort zone and out of their, their silo and into the mindset of the customer. And so you end up in this mm. neutral ground collaborating to try to find a better um, product to deliver to the customer. So what it does is partially it gets everyone to think about the customer, but then it also helps people collaborate and helps people to, to sort of become co-creators of the idea. And then you build up a, a sort of um, a critical mass of people who understand this idea and, and are helping to, to make it better. And then the last thing that happens with that is actually is that when we're doing this, a lot of our times when we have an idea, we're sort of pushing and trying to sell this idea internally. And obviously people resist this and so on. 
But what that means is that we don't always learn why this idea isn't working because we're fighting for it. Whereas if you get people collaborating with you, that you then start to learn about why, how does the rest of the organization work? And so it creates this learning environment about learning about customers, about learning about my organization and so on. And everyone gets sort of upskilled in terms of like their understanding of customers and their understanding of our strategy and our organization. So I, I, I've, I've delivered that and helped um, various companies learn with that. Software OG and Nestle, Purina would be the two biggest that I've worked with. And it's been really helpful for them to, to sort of be able to come up with a new idea and get disparate groups on board with this idea and challenge their own assumptions about the idea and then improve the idea. I think that's so neat that there is, I don't know, like this massive organization like Amazon who really, really believes in their leadership principles and other principles about building product enough to say, you know, the way then we will build our experiences is to start with the end in mind. And I think it then makes sense why you would leap into the OKR realm because that's the same idea, right? That you want to start with what outcomes for the business do you want to be able to achieve? And then how are you going to define success in the same way with this working backwards uh, notion that if it, it is considered a success, if the the news folks will pick up on it and start to spread it around, right? Like, yeah. So I can see the leap there, but can you briefly discuss like the intersection between this working backwards framework and OKRs? Yeah. So I mean, the, I mean, the working backwards method kind of tends to generate that action because it gets people out of their zones and, and into this neutral zone and starts collaborating. The relationship to OKRs is that the way I teach people OKRs away after to help them to understand what to do is I get them to imagine it's a bit like working backwards as in I get them to imagine they're at the end of the quarter or end of their period trying to explain their the value of what they've done in that quarter to their stakeholders and now as a team if you're a company or you could think of this as a company talking to their board or to their customers you could think of it as a, a team with internal customers internal stakeholders whatever it is. But what really matters when you're trying to do something is, is like, does it actually deliver value to my stakeholders, to my customers, to my in- internal or external customers? So imagine like explaining that to somebody who is kind of busy and, and you know, has other, other people providing value to them as well. So I asked them to sort of imagine that they're in that future, you know, get in their DeLorean, go forwards in time to the end of the quarter. Imagine they're there and presenting their achievements and they really need to present their achievements in sort of like a, a couple of themes with big sort of like, this is what's the, uh, the, the inspirational thing we've been working towards. And then here are some metrics or here are some things that um, have really been concrete that prove it. And then in some ways, by thinking about this from the future perspective, you can then figure out, well, what are, what, what are the goals that I need to have to get there? Because if I want to deliver those things, then I have to have those kinds of goals. And then that turns it into, it turns it into really concrete action. Because what I do find is that a lot of people, we get stuck on either two things. One is either the, the activities, like what activities we're doing for their OKRs. But if you think about presenting that to someone, then the question is always, so what does that mean for me? What's in it for right. me? But at the same time, a lot of people also go too far the other way and they start out with the profit. And they say, we made 4 million euros in revenue or profit or whatever it is. But the question is then, well, how is that different to the other guy who said he made four million? Like, what did, what did you do? <laughs> what's, mm. what's important and what's interesting about what you do? So that's one angle that I use. It's sort of this working backwards from the the, the outcome. I mean, the, the other side of this, of course, is um, what kinds of things are you going to say with your OKRs that are going to cause your team to have better decisions to deliver the results? So there's sort of two sides to that coin, if you like. 
Yeah. And then, you know, something that I guess we had discussed previously is, you know, where then is value creation happening? And that's the the overarching theme between working backwards and OKRs is you're creating and delivering and checking if you are actually, you know, doing this value stuff. Like that's what matters is how that happens. And you mentioned that there are two places that this value creation really, it's not to negate everyone else, but really it's R&D or research and development and marketing. Yes. I mean, I hear about, um, Drucker sort of made this statement about um, uh, the the two parts that value has created, the the R&D and the the marketing. I always think, well, if you just had one, like if you just had R&D, then you'd be a great inventor in a garage and you might be inventing amazing things, but there's not much of a business there. And the other half of Drucker's quote is that the, the defining aspect of business, the defining characteristic is marketing, because that's what turns it into a business. That's what creates it as a business as opposed to a hobby. And if you if you look at said there are certain types of companies out there that um, are primarily marketing companies that don't necessarily do much um, innovation, but they can have quite successful companies. But if you combine the two in a way and you get the innovation to be really lined up with marketing in a, in a really, you know, value creating way, then you get something like a Google or an Amazon, or, you know, there are plenty of companies that are, you could mention here, not just the big tech companies, but who are really creating something new and creating a huge market for that. And that's really what you're trying to do as a, as a business. So where I think working backwards and OKRs relate to this is really about helping understand how do we measure value? Like, what are we measuring here? What are we trying mm. to do? Who are we creating this for? And then we work backwards from there to figure out, well, what do we need to do to create that? And even if you're thinking about the other parts of a business that are not necessarily fitting into this R&D or marketing thing, I mean, they're, they're basically providing value to, to internal customers of the business, right, if you like. like. They're providing value to the rest of the business. And so they just have internal customers. And you've got to think of that like a business as well. And so it's all about um, uh, defining the value and then trying to figure out, well, what, uh, what's the measure of this? And then communicating this to my team. And how do I communicate to the, make sure the people who are doing the work and they're busy doing work and doing activities, that they really understand how this, how this activity they're doing creates value. Because when they do, once they understand how the thing that I am doing creates value for my company, for my customers, for my internal customers, external customers, for my stakeholders, then once they understand that, then they can think about how to do that better and create more value with less, less effort. And that's how you get leverage in a team doing whatever it is you're trying to do. But the key thing is really understanding this from the external perspective, like from the stakeholder or from the customer, and then communicating that to make sure that the activities are really connected to the understanding of what what value you're really creating. Which anymore, I mean, if you want to be able to kind of catalyze an organization, I think these are key components that you're, you're talking through. As I was kind of preparing for our conversation today and just reading through some of the, the things that, you, you know, are your prevailing thoughts about you're working backwards training. I found it really cool that you had kind of four stages to talk about the program that you you help people through. And the first is getting started with working backwards and understanding what the process is. The second was getting feedback and buy-in. I find that oftentimes we talk a lot about getting feedback from our customers, you know, that's something as a product manager or anybody on a product team building value, like that's what you're thinking about a lot. But when you're talking about this, it really is about getting feedback and buy-in internally. Can you yeah. talk us through like how how that looks like, especially when you're talking about scaling such a framework, whether it's working backwards or OKRs? Because that's often the challenging point is we know that the work is happening cross-laterally across the business, right? It's not necessarily always happening through 
the vertical aspect or the hierarchy of that. We know that work is done through the network, yeah. if you will. Yeah. So how do you help or facilitate folks to get that feedback and that buy-in and to create that culture of learning? Because that's the cycle of learning happens with the feedback and the buy-in, the reflection. Yeah. So I, I like to talk about the difference between a startup and a, and a, and a more established company um, uh, in this, because if you think about it, there's a lot of material out there, and especially in the product world, we get really interested in how startups can invent new products and, and all that sort of stuff, uh, that sort of topic. But what's really going on there is that as a startup, you don't have any customers and you don't really have experience with customers. You bring some experience from elsewhere, but you're in a new context. So you've got to go and learn it. And, and Steve Blank says, you know, get out of the building, go and test it with real customers and so on. That's the only place you get. There are no facts inside the building. It's a really quite common phrase. And now this is, is true in every situation and to some degree, except for the fact that in an established company, you do have customers and you do have people who understand those customers in your organization and you do have facts about things, about customers. You do have data. You have all sorts of information and insights in your organization. And so if in a larger company you try to do this pure, let's purely go and understand the customer and nothing else, then there are mm. two problems you run across. One is that you're not taking advantage of the assets that you have within your organization. You're not taking advantage of your advantages, right? And the second thing is that even once you do, in order to do that as a, as a small company, it's relatively easy because you've got just four or five people or 10 people, which should, you know, we just make a decision and go ahead, go ahead. In a large company, the hardest thing is getting the rest of this organization to move. So right. whenever I'm doing this, I need to interact with them and, the, and, the, and I need to work with them. So what I recommend people do is go and understand, go and use, use these people. And what you, like, it's not just a matter of pitching to them and trying to convince them of my, my genius idea that customers understand. It's really a matter, like in order to convince someone, the first thing you need to do is listen to them. And what happens when you do that is you do benefit from their insights and so your idea gets better. But when you, what happens when you listen is that they then start to become, feel like they're heard and then they are part of this, this process. And so that's, this is the pure working backwards thing. But if you, if you do this with, um, with OKRs as well, you're, you're also trying to focus in on the value we're trying to create and understand the value that other people value. So you're trying to take your, your objective and run this by my stakeholders in future and say, look, if I was to do this, is this of value? Like what's of value here? How do we measure value? And trying to understand that. If you do it in a vacuum, you kind of um, are at risk of having a genius idea that no one cares about. If you do it in the way of, of working with your organization, then you t that's how as managers and as leaders, that's how we find, that's how we create value in a larger organization by working together. And that's what, that's what the advantage of being in a large organization is. And that's actually why it's so hard being in a, in a large organization, because it's hard work to go and collaborate with people. <laughs> it's just hard. But that's actually where the advantage is. And if you don't do that, you may as well be independent on, on a, in a small company without all those resources and without the, 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 uh, the, I guess, the barriers to change. But if you're in a big company and you want to take advantage of all that massive resource and that your, your market penetration and everything like that, you have to bring all these people along with you and you have to be willing to go along with them. Yeah. I remember I used to work in some really big companies and I remember one time someone had mentioned that the value of the enterprise is that you can bring teams of teams together to solve some really complex, gnarly and big customer problems. And that's the excitement. But like to your point, it, it does require work to kind of navigate who those people are, what they consider valuable, what they consider valuable to the customer, how they define it. 
and get that buy-in so that you can improve whatever idea you might have to kind of push out. I mean, this goes when you, when you, have, a, when you have a new idea. I, I like to use the working backwards framework to sort of push to get this new idea sort of socialized and get the right input for it. But just even my normal daily operations, my normal sort of like change that I want to do within my team, the OKRs are a much simpler sort of lightweight framework to do that with. And I just do the same thing. I go and talk to the people and understand, is this valuable? But it's the same process. Underlying, it's the same consultative sort of process, listening, testing the ideas, finding out what's valuable, what's not, how making sure we're aligned by communicating about it. And figuring out well what is, what is really valuable to this to these stakeholders and those stakeholders and how do we collaborate with those people to create more than we could do on our own? So to that, it kind of speaks really nicely into the next stage of of the working backwards framework that you help organizations navigate and adopt along with OKRs, and it, it's the same thing. It's to align with those stakeholders as you yeah. describe. And you mentioned that there are kind of two buckets to be considered of as you're turning your stakeholders into co-creators, which I. I love that idea that it's about co-creation because that screams collaboration and shared OKRs and, you know, shared responsibility and ultimately shared accountability, which all of these things are are good things. But you mentioned that you need to make space for FAQs and the question bank. And when I read that, yeah. I was like, isn't that the same thing? But I don't think it is. Otherwise, you wouldn't have separated those two notions. So can you describe a bit about this phase of, of the OKR and working backwards structure where you're talking about this alignment? Because for a lot of people, this is a black box. Like, how do I do this? So, so I find that if, if you're trying to get, you're, you're trying to get alignment amongst a group of people, I mean, obviously the, the most, it's very important to, to listen to them. But the, one of the ways that they feel most listened to is if you capture their words and put that into the document. So if we have a working backwards document, we basically have a press release or a dear customer letter or some sort of customer communication as our, as our main point. And that's basically setting the scene of getting everyone into the customer point of view, right? And trying to understand it. Now, when I'm reviewing it with people, I'll take that and I'll modify it. And it's the same again with, with OKRs. If I've got that, I might modify my OKRs, but I'm also quite likely if I'm going to have a, a document to sort of socialize something important around, attach FAQs to it and then have these FAQs being the questions that people are asking about this and, then they feel like whatever, even if even if I, we don't change the idea or the the goal, the, the the objective or the key results or what we're doing, even if we don't change it, because we've got it written down there and it's written down with your question and an answer to the question, they feel represented. And so then, mm. what you know, then then you say you're taking the same document to other parts of the organization, and then they can see, ah, it turns out that operations say this, and that's really interesting. And maybe they'll maybe they'll they'll suggest you do change because of this. Maybe they'll suggest you don't. But at least the operations has felt felt heard and doesn't feel steamrolled. Because I, I do find that in most cases, especially if you do any sort of presentation or a presentation style communication, it's it's intended to be persuasive. And when I'm intending to persuade people, my na- the natural inclination is to not represent the objections. Right. But what I do want to do is represent the ah. objections as honestly as I possibly can so that people then feel represented. And it's sometimes these situations, these objections might be objections that do need to be disregarded in the end. But right. Right. Because they might be wrong. They might be the, the wrong thing. Maybe they're, they're self-interested or maybe they're just missing something important. But by representing it, then you, you sort of turn these people who could be objectors into, into collaborators. Um, but the other thing that happens here is by doing so, you're sort of opening yourself up and making it vulnerable, whatever it is you're doing. So this is, again, if you have uh, cows and you're willing to entertain questions, you're making it vulnerable to, well, if you've got a better idea, we'll change it, you know? Mm, I mean, you've got the, right. an idea for a new product. I mean, plenty of times there is a great product idea that's great, 
but not here. <laughs> and in our organization, we have these characteristics, which means this particular angle won't work. And we need to take into account what operations think or what, what, you know, how, how legal the legal framework works or whatever in our organization. So let's do it differently. And by doing that, you are then able to create a direction again, whether it's execution focused direction or, uh, you know, influencing strategy or a new product idea, you're able to create that direction that brings people along and become something that can make an impact to your organization. In, in reality, as opposed to just in a sort of like idealized world. So would it be fair to say then to summarize that the FAQs really are an effort to be able to holistically understand the various perspectives and make sure that that's representing in whatever document, whether it's the OKRs that you're creating or this working backwards kind of uh, letter to the customer or a press release, like that's one aspect. And then this other aspect of this question bank is in service of just clarifying what is unclear. Yeah, so, so the question bank I use is basically, it's the questions that I, because if I'm writing a document like this, I'll often have, there'll often be common questions that you ask. And sometimes, right. especially in organizations where they, if, if an organization hasn't really got a great customer orientation or isn't really familiar with innovation, you want to make sure that you're prompting these questions by asking mm. them and then causing okay. them to think about them. And so like, for example, if I have an idea about we should do this new, 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 new product, the question is, how do we know people want this product? And then I can explain in my answer where, where I got the data from, why I think that they want this product. I mean, we might even explain that I don't know why we believe this, but here's the experiment that I would do in order to learn whether they need this or not. And what happens when people, other people read this who aren't necessarily thinking about this, go and test and learn from data, they're just, just using intuition, is they start to see this thing, oh, that's interesting. I, didn't, I never thought we could do this with data and, and maybe they, maybe they learn something and they start to change how they, how they operate and how they do anything. So I give this, um, uh, the question bank to be a sort of a set of prompts for, um, uh, asking good questions that create good conversations and create good interactions with people. Cause that's what it's all about at the end is this human interaction. It's not just a document. You have a document in order to drive a conversation. And, and one of the, one of my favorite questions in almost every document is what were the, what were the most, uh, what were the hot topics? Like what were the biggest debates that you had? Right. And I usually put that at the start because then people read whatever document it is. And, you know, if I reviewed it with a bunch of people, I want to say, what were the biggest debates? <laughs> what were the biggest things that people were upset about? And then we can raise them to the top of the conversation and say, these are the things that people are concerned about. And then that brings people on board and, and helps us to address those concerns. Oh, I love that so much because it really brings to the fore, you know, and cuts through the noise of what is important to talk about. Versus, you know, what we can kind of shelve and just accept that this is just, this is fine. This is yeah, okay. It's realistically, if you're in a large organization and there's a team who, for whatever reason, they're resisting whatever it is, simply by trying to steamroll them, it's not going to work. I mean, it's just, you'll just create more resistance by doing so. So by yeah. calling it out and, and, and putting it there um, and making sure that they feel represented, you know, whatever you're, whatever you're trying to do, that they have a fair representation and you're sort of, Writing it in a way that isn't isn't a um, caricature of their position. You don't want to straw man their position. You want to say this is the concern. They're concerned about this because it will cost them that much. Should we do it anyway? <laughs> right. Right. And, and then right. that's actually the right question that you want to make sure gets asked. And so this is where a lot of the ways of people doing things with with, with um, presentations and powerpoints and so on, they tend to avoid these questions and just just try to persuade, persuade. with positives yeah. and you don't have don't even have that discussion. If you have the discussion, then at least. You get those people on board, you get that discussion to happen, and potentially you actually discover, you know what, that is really a problem and we shouldn't just go and do this. 
But maybe there's another solution that we can find here. And that by having all those people in that room, whoever they are, like managers and, and, and different people, different representatives discussing this document, by reviewing it with people, you can get people to come up with those ideas because now they're trying to solve a problem for customers as mm. opposed to push their agenda. And then at the end of the day, may the best idea win in service of said customer and not our personal egos or our agendas or, like you said, our intuition, but rather what what we're trying to solve for. I think that's such a wonderful, that's a wonderful idea, this FAQ and uh, this this question bank. That said, maybe we can wrap it up with some really quick fire questions. I think I think we have a lot of really good stuff for, for people to munch on. So thank you so much for your wisdom and, and being on the show. First question is, what is your dream? Because that's the name of our podcast. What is your your dream with a deadline? Or if it doesn't have one, that's fine too. Well, at the moment, I'm writing a book called um, OKRs Don't Work and How Do You Oh, wow. Um, at least that's the working title. So we have to see how that goes. And so I've got myself a deadline that is um, uh, is like in the, in the order of months. I'm not going to um, expose exactly when that is because <laughs> um, uh, because, that, because that could be awkward. Um, <laughs> but, but at the same time, that's my, my short-term deadline. My longer-term one is to build my own business as a management consulting business where you focused on OKRs and, and working backwards and helping all companies to transform and and turn their strategy into execution um, and build that within a year to be something that I that I'm, I, I feel like is actually a growing and profitable business where I can start hiring people. At the moment, I'm relatively early in the journey. So be on the lookout, folks, for the book. I certainly will be because I like to read anything to do with OKRs, as, as most people know. So now that we know your dream, I think that's fantastic. What is something that you've learned recently that kind of helped you change the way that you think or kind of shaped the way that you work? Oh, there's quite a lot of things that I've learned recently, actually. I've, I, I, just to go slightly meta, I've, I've really learned that learning things is super important. Uh, and it's weird because it's something that I feel like I've believed for a long time, but mm. somehow I've had this, uh, possibly it's having worked at, you know, Google has, has this sort of um, chutzpah about it. Um, uh, <laughs> and, and, you know, and so it's, 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 it can be kind of hard to overcome your own arrogance and, 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 and learn things. And so I've actually found that having coaches and having people asking me questions is, and review my documents, review my work, um, even when they're not necessarily people who I think uh, know, know the topic better than I am, I do, for example, but sometimes sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But having them review my work has been so incredibly useful. That's one massive learning. On a more practical basis, I've learned that um, that uh, the channel, the direction that I'm, the, the way that I'm accessing my customers is a real major part of my offer. So I used mm. to think just having, if I have a good offer, it doesn't matter what channel I'm going through, but the channel and the offer are so in, intimately linked in marketing and in, in business that um, you really have to find the, the combination of the two that works. And that's what I've, that's what I've learned recently. That's changing the way I'm operating. Well said. And then final question is there are a lot of folks that are listening in that care about strategy, execution management, you know, orchestrating for results. Ultimately, you know, what do I do with this OKR stuff for folks who are kind of new to the journey? Cause I don't think it's, it's, mainstream i think we're kind of in an echo chamber when you're in the okr space we know what we're talking about we've talked about it for a while what would you have to like how would you advise them um if as they're exploring like as some like one piece of advice you're like hey you're new to this i want you to know this about okrs or about approaching this methodology so so here's the the thing is this is actually the reason i titled my book okrs don't work i think a lot of people think of OKRs as some sort of magical goal-setting framework 
that when I set my goals in this form and I distribute it like that, then magic happens. But what's actually going on is that OKRs are much more like like a songbook for your leaders and for your teams. And, and what you need to do is have a good song, which is your strategy, and you need to have good singers, the people you're executing, right? And you need to have clear leadership that helps people to be singing the same song in the same way. But the OKRs are effectively the songbook. And so on their own, they don't necessarily do anything. It's what you do as leaders that causes the change in the organization. And so um, for me, OKRs, um, uh, they... They're a great tool, a fantastic tool, just like a songbook for a choir is. But what's really going on is what are you doing as a manager, as a leader, as a as part of your organization? And by leader, I don't necessarily mean a person who has has people that are managing. They're just people who are sort of like creating change and creating momentum in the organization. But as a leader or as a manager, what is it that you're doing? How are you interacting with people that causes change, that causes momentum, that creates something new, creates transformation? Because that interaction, right, is the thing that causes the change. And if you all have OKRs and you have the same OKRs, you'll be coordinated in the way you're driving that change. And that coordination, that singing the same song together, creates um, a massive impact that you can't create without singing the same song together. And OKRs help you do that. I really love that analogy because, I mean, I think all of us can appreciate what it sounds like when a choir comes together and they really are in tune with one another. And then what it sounds like, let's say when you're in an orchestra and they're warming up and it sounds just completely mental, you know, (laughs) and what we're really looking for is that harmony uh, and that cohesiveness. And to the extent where, I mean, I've, I don't know if music impacts you this way. Like, it's so beautiful that you almost want to cry, you know? Um, And that's, I don't know if we necessarily will all get there in business. But I think what you said today makes lots of sense. Thank you so much for your words of wisdom again and for just sharing your experiences with us and yeah, these different frameworks that I think hopefully we'll be able to investigate more and incorporate into our work so that we can develop greater value for our customers and for the team for that matter. That's the goal. That's it for this episode of Dreams with Deadlines. Thanks for listening. If you like today's episode, please subscribe and share. Show notes can be found on gtmhub.com radio. If you want to learn more about our product and services, head out to gtmhub.com. If you have questions that you'd like answered on the show, shoot us an email at radio at gtmhub.com. Tune in next time.